Anyway, I, I'm excited to continue the sermon series that we started last week. Um, we're calling it Much Afraid. And we're, we're looking at and we're walking through one of the great Christian classic books. It was written like a, a million years ago. And um, it's called Heinz Feet on High Places. And uh, the very first, uh, the, a couple weeks ago, I said, hey, how many of you have read Heinz Feet on High Places? And like one person raised their hand. So, so there is, and, and my wife didn't raise her hand, but she has read it. She was cheating. Um, so I said, man, you guys got to read. This is a great book. And it's kind of old school. And I'm, I kind of like old school, but uh, I'm not much of a reader. But I, I love this book because it's, it's an allegory. It's an allegory of the Christian life. And so we started it last week. And really what we're, what we're doing is we're looking at instances in this allegory when she has conversations with the shepherd. And those conversations with the shepherd change her perspective on everything. They change her life. And so conversation with the shepherd are what we would call prayer times, all right? This is times when we pray and we fellowship with God. We talk to God. And so if you are um, a Christian today, then this, this message is definitely applicable to you. But even if you're not a Christian, I believe that there's still some application here because you can see what um, life could be like. You can see what life could be like if you chose to follow Jesus. Um, it's, it's an exciting adventure. It's not just about, you know, raising your hand one time for a prayer and then coming to church on and off. That's not really what it's about. It's about going on a journey with the shepherd. It's about going on a journey with Jesus. And we talked about this last week that, 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 um, much afraid, this is this girl's name, um, cause she is much afraid. Um, she's afraid much. So she is living in the valley of humiliation, and, and she's still serving the shepherd. So she's a Christian. She believes in God. She, she goes to church occasionally. She talks with him, but she's living in this valley of humiliation, it's called, because it's the valley where she's, where she's constantly crippled in her feet. Um, her face is disfigured, and her heart is not quite ready to enter into the kingdom of love. And so she has this encounter with the shepherd, and he says, look, I'm going to be able, if you want, I can take you to a higher place. I can take you to the high places, away from your fearing relatives, right? Because she had all these fears that constantly were meeting her wherever she went. They were all around her. She couldn't get away from them. And so what we talked about last week was let's, let's just dream together for just a minute. Let's, let's just imagine that maybe Jesus is powerful enough to change our feet, to change our face, and to change our heart, to do something inside of us that takes us to a higher level of living. And um, anyway, I'm excited about that. I'm excited about people making that journey, people making that decision. I think it's the best decision that you can ever make, aside from following Jesus, is to follow him further. Because Jesus lives in the high places. He lives, and so you say, well, what are the high places? The high places are, basically, those are the places of victory. Those are the places where you're not constantly struggling and then getting up and falling and getting up and falling and getting up and just going around in this circle in the valley. But it's a place where uh, her feet are changed into deer's feet, which is why it's called hind's feet on high places. That's old school word for deer. Um, she's able to leap and jump around on the mountains. And that's what God wants for every single one of you. Those things that are towering over you, those things that you're not even sure that you can even face, God wants you to be able to jump on them and have such victory in your life that you rise above them. And it's, and it's a beautiful testimony of how powerful God is in your life. Does that sound good? Does that sound good to anybody? Okay. Well, we're going to continue... Three of you, that's awesome. Uh, we're going to continue this series, and we're going to talk about um, the next step. We're going to go from chapter 4, basically, through chapter 8 today. Before we do, let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we thank you for this day and for the opportunity to preach. God, it's always such a privilege um, to, to stand up here and, and to preach for the last six months, exactly. 
Um, Lord, you've done such amazing things. And so these, these things are all trophies of your grace. These are all things that you have done, and we just put the glory back on you. We thank you uh, for this day. We thank you for, for your love for us. And we just ask for you to open up your word to us. Help us to see Jesus in the scripture today. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Um, for those of you that don't know, we started over the summer a small group for um, uh, married or even dating couples. Uh, we started a small group called Date Night, my wife and I did, and we have been um, organizing date nights on Friday nights for the past six or so weeks, and um, it's really uh, kind of birthed out of our marriage small group that we had over the, over the winter semester. We had a 12-week sem- winter semester small group, and um, we had so many married couples, and really we felt like God was doing some great things in their life. But here in the summer, we were like, you know what, let's just have fun. Let's not, we're not going to dig into the Word of God too much. We're just going to have fun and, and, and really take time to do something very spiritual, and that is go on a date with your spouse. Come on, somebody. That's spiritual. That's like, that's spiritual. Uh, because what it is, because what, 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 what we found is that people say they want to go on a date. Oh, it would be great, but, but life gets too busy. And, and your schedule gets crowded, and you don't have enough money for a babysitter, and and the guy doesn't really plan anything. So anyway, there's, there's a lot of issues why married couples don't go on dates. And so we said, hey, you know what? Let's just take away those excuses. And so we, uh, as a church, we've been hiring a babysitter on Friday night. If you want to come with us to date night, drop your kid off at the babysitter, and babysitter's taken care of. And Ro and I have been planning the dates. And so we've been, we've been trying to think of cool things to do. And this past week, it was a bit of a fail. And so I wanted to talk... She thinks it was awesome, but I, for those of the rest of us who went, there was three couples, my wife and I, uh, uh, David and Bryony, and then um, Tony and, um, uh, uh, Tony and, and my, her brain, my brain, Laura, that's what I was going to say, but um, Tony and Laura, um, which they're actually um, engaged couples, so it was, it was kind of neat because we, we've been married for a while and they're engaged, and so we decided to together go take dance lessons. It's something that my wife has always wanted to do. I've never danced with her except at our wedding. And she's like, I just want you to dance and all this kind of thing. And, and it, wasn't like, it wasn't like, you know, dirty dancing. This is not dirty dancing we're talking about. We're talking about swing, swing and blues. Like, that's what we were learning, swing. I, you know, so anyway, so, so, so we go, and it's a little bit awkward for us guys because, well, especially me, because I'm white. I don't know if you noticed this or not. <laughs> But I am very, like, I'm, I'm not just white out here. I'm white in here. I am white, 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 white. And it's all white. Like, there's nothing else in there. It's just white. I don't, I don't, I don't even eat breakfast tacos, okay? I, like, pancakes. That's what I do. I'm from the Midwest. I'm from Michigan. I just do pancakes, man. And so, you know, we go, we, 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 we go to this dance thing. And I don't really, I mean, I don't even, I struggle on the keyboard to keep the beat, you know? I'm not even, like, rhythmatically in tune with the rest of my body. It's just my fingers are trying to, you know, keep the beat. That's all I can do. And so we go, and we know it's going to be somewhat painful. I know it's going to be somewhat painful for me. And um, luckily, David was along with me. He also was anticipating some, some pain. Uh, but I think it, it was, it was kind of funny because um, we, we show up and we sign up. And, and we, I think, well, hey, at least it'll be me and Ro learning together. And, you know, she, she obviously is very gracious. And so she's not going to laugh at me too much. Well, we get in there and there's like 12 other couples or 12 other people or 13 other people. And so what they did is they did, oh, let's do a rotation. So 
<laughs> so like every couple minutes, I was dancing with a different girl. And uh, it was a little awkward, I must say. The one girl's like, so are you here with anyone? I'm like, yeah, my wife's right over there. She's with that guy. We got back in the van, I told, I told David, I said, dude, like, we better get serious brownie points for this. <laughs> it didn't help me much. I don't know if it helped you, dude, but I hope it did, but I don't know. Um, Tony and them, they're engaged, so he's got brownie points forever. <laughs> he's got, but, you know, anyway. But, you know, it was just this, it was kind of awkward. And I, and I think the great quote of, of the evening was David. We got back in the van, and David was like, what did he say? I, I wrote it down here. He said, because um, <laughs> I, I, I just got to get it right. He said, I thought I wouldn't be that bad. And then I was. <laughs> that was it. That was the great quote. Like, I was like, yes, that's exactly what happened. I, although I pretty much knew I was going to be bad. But I, I, I guess I'm using that story to just share with you a little bit of my pain so you can sympathize with me. And um, also, if you are a great dancer, um, shut up. Nobody cares. <laughs> because sometimes in life, you step into situations and it's like, I am totally unequipped for this. Like, I am not able to do this at all. I'm terrible at this. And there's no other explanation for why I can't remember, you know, one, two, one, two, three, one. Two. I don't even, like, you're supposed to get the hips going, all this stuff. Like, the professional dancers are, like, going crazy. And I'm like, I, I don't know why I can't get this. It's just difficult. There's some times in life that we enter into difficult situations. And really, when we read the book, chapter four through eight, Little Much Afraid is going through several difficult situations in her life. And to me, this is an allegory of stuff that we go through as Christians. The very first difficult situation actually is introduced to her by the shepherd himself. Uh, and and the, at the end of chapter four, the shepherd says, I have, I have two guides that are going to go with you. They're going to help you because you're, 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 you have the, the, the feet problem. They're going to help you up these mountains. They're going to help you learn how to follow me. And she's thinking, oh, this is great. They're handpicked by the shepherd. And the shepherd says, here they are. Here are the two helpers. And uh, I have this quote here in the book. Um, they are named sorrow and suffering. <laughs> Not exactly. And, she's, and she says in the book, she's like, oh, my goodness. Like, why can't I go with joy and peace? Like, you know, joy and peace, they're really going to help me. But this is, do you guys have that, that quote from, from, from the shepherd here in the, the book? It's, it's uh, there we go. This is what the shepherd says about these guys. He says, they are actually good teachers. And I have few better. As for their names, I'll tell you them in your own language. And later you will learn what they are called in their own tongue. This is important. He says, I'm going to tell you what they are in valley language. What they're known as in valley language is, first of all, sorrow, and the other is her twin sister, suffering. And so, so to begin with, I just want to talk to you about, you know, what do you do when you run into sorrow and suffering in your life? Number one, I want you to notice that the shepherd says these are, that this is their name in valley language. In other words, in, in, in the high places, they're known as something else. And the shepherd doesn't tell her what they're known as in the high places yet because, because he wants her to figure that out on her own. But he says, look, but in your language, they're known as sorrow 
and suffering. And sorrow and suffering are not necessarily positive things that we want to embrace in our life. They're not things that we welcome into our life, but, but that's only, I think that's only because we speak valley language. And the, one of the great things about prayer is that prayer changes your language. Prayer changes what comes out of your mouth. Prayer changes what you say. Because prayer changes how you see things. And so, and so we have a scripture here in, in 2 Corinthians 4.17 where the Apostle Paul is using, he's using uh, heavenly language. He's using uh, a mountain language to describe what we're going through. He says, we know that our present troubles are small. Somebody said, well, I don't think so, Paul. My troubles are not small. But you got to understand, like the Apostle Paul was going through a lot more than you and I have ever been through. He's going through physical persecution, um, so many things. And he says, these present troubles are small and they won't last very long. Yet, the great thing is about trouble is that it produces for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. In other words, in the, in the mountain places, when you start entering into prayer with the shepherd, you understand that the things you're facing, sorrow and suffering, are not necessarily strictly sorrow and suffering, but that they have a purpose in our life. We begin to use the language of heaven. And, and Hannah Hernard, the writer of, of, of Heinz Feet on High Places, in the introduction of the book, she says this. Uh, we have it to put up there on the screen for you to read. Um, she says that as Christians, we know, in theory at least, that in the life of a child of God, there are no second causes. In other words, even the most unjust and cruel things, as well as the seemingly pointless and undeserved sufferings, have been permitted by God in our lives. Like God, God allowed these things to come into our lives. And we know that sort of mentally. But to really grasp that, to really see the shepherd saying, here are some, some guides for you. Here are some things in your life that are going to help you become who you're meant to be. They're permitted by God as glorious opportunity for us to react to them in such a way that our Lord and Savior is producing his own character within us. And so, first of all, prayer helps us get a better perspective, helps change our language with regard to our troubles and the difficulties of life and the sufferings of life. It changes what we say about them. We don't strictly look at them as struggle and suffering, but rather we understand that it's working something inside of us, that they are guides, they are helpers. Well, don't shout me down now, but trouble is guide and it is a helper, all right? Suffering is a guide and it is a helper. Sorrow is a guide and it is a helper. It is. God uses it. He doesn't always just use rainbows and unicorns and, and, and fairy dust. He uses sorrow and suffering to guide us on a path with him, if we will let him. Number two, it, prayer changes the way that we speak about ourselves. It changes the way that we speak about ourselves. Oftentimes, I'm, I'm, I'm talking to somebody, and, 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 I'll, and, and they'll, they'll say something about themselves. And so I find myself frequently just telling people, you, you, shouldn't, you shouldn't say that about yourself. Like, you shouldn't put that label on you. You shouldn't adopt that label on yourself. Maybe that's who you were, but that's not necessarily who God is making you to be. And so you have to change the language a little bit because words are powerful. And, 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 and words, I mean, some people get off the track a little bit and words become too powerful and they, they think anything they say is just going to happen. That's not necessarily true, but especially what you say over yourself is very powerful. 
Because it, it, it trains your mind how to think about yourself and it, and it, and it, and it adjusts the, the pathway of your life. And one thing that, that, that Much Afraid learns in the conversations with the shepherd is that her name, even though her name is Much Afraid, her name is going to be changed. And she recognizes that and she knows that and she's waiting for that day when, when that character is produced inside of her. And so she doesn't hold on to saying, I'm always going to be afraid. It changes the way you talk about yourself. And there's a passage in uh, 1 Corinthians that I would like for us to look at, uh, chapter 6, verse 9. And this is, this is just the brutal reality of Scripture. He says, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? He says, don't fool yourself. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or are abusive or cheat people. That's a pretty big list. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. But verse 11 is the key verse. He says, some of you were once, were once like that, but you were, I, I like to preach sermon series sometimes about the power of a big butt. Because right there, we often shrink that butt. You know, it's a small butt. Some of you were once like that, but you know, you're watching this, all this stuff. And we get content with living in verse 9 and verse 10. And we think that there's no other way out. There's no other way to, to, to change. There's no, but the power of, like, you, we, we need to make that but as big as it really is. In Scripture, that word but means all the stuff we just said does apply to some of you. But there's a new reality now. But is, but is basically the chasm between what you were and what you are. And so there's, there's, there's a difference. You have to use different language for what you were versus what you are. You can't confuse were and are. Were and are different. He says, but you were that, but now you have been washed. You have been cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So there's, there's, a, there's a new way that you are to talk about yourself. There's a new way that you are to think about yourself. And this is revealed to us in prayer. As we pray, as we connect with the shepherd, we get close to his heart. We begin to hear the new name that he has for us. Kind of like we sang today, I am a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. There's something powerful about just declaring that over yourself. Something powerful about just declaring that. Because because if you are a child of God, then that means that, that God is your father. That means God is your dad. And if he's your dad, then, then, that, then that means his blood is flowing through your veins. His blood is in you. That means, that means that his likeness is in you. That means you take on the characteristics of your dad. I look a lot like my dad, actually. It's kind of weird. But... Um, <laughs> I didn't believe it as a kid, but then I, I saw a picture of him as a 15-year-old kid when I was 15. I was like, that's like me, but like really poor quality film. It's <laughs> what's going on. And, uh, and then, of course, he, he was kind of in the, the late 70s, so he had a big afro going on. I, I don't, I've never really had that. But, but he, he also had a massive beard. He looked like Keith Green, sort of. But, um, um, which by, I don't know, I'm not growing a beard. I just lost my razor in the move. And so for the past two weeks, I haven't had a oh, nice beard. I tried shaving and it started catching on stuff. And so I just stopped. And um, one, one of my dancing partners, she's like, I've danced with you before. And I said, no, no. 
said, I said, I've never been here before. She's like, no, I just, she mentioned some club. And I said, nope, nope. <laughs> and she's like, maybe he's another bearded man. And I'm like, yeah, there's a few of us around, you know. <laughs> wow, okay. Anyway, prayer changes the way that we speak about ourselves, and it changes the way that we, that we view ourselves, and it changes our DNA. We start to look like our dad. We start to talk like our dad. We start to think like our dad. We start to act like our dad. We start to take on the DNA of our, of our father, and we become, we become like him, and we become, we become able to walk where we weren't able to walk before. She, 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 she's, she's, she's walking alongside uh, uh, sorrow and suffering, and she finds that she, she doesn't want to hold their hand because it's sorrow and suffering. Who likes that? So she doesn't want to embrace them. And what she finds is that when she gets to really steep parts, she has to hold the hand of sorrow and suffering. And that's the posture, really. It changes our posture. When, when, we, when, we, when, when, when we enter into uh, conversations with the shepherd and he starts calling us to a higher place, what you're going to find out is that, is, that, is that simply walking without holding anything is no longer an option. You're going to have to hold on to something. And what she holds on to are the guides that God had given her. She holds on to the guides that the shepherd had left her. She doesn't stubbornly demand, I need joy, I need peace. No, she takes sorrow and suffering for what it is. It's a guide, and she embraces them. She grabs a hold of those hands, and um, she embraces them against, against pride. And what, what happens is she starts on this journey, and she lets go of the hands of sorrow and suffering, and this other guy named Pride comes up, and Pride takes her hand, and Pride starts whispering sweet nothings in her ear about how, you know, the shepherd's probably going to make her look like an idiot. The shepherd probably doesn't know where she's going, and she should probably go back and have a little self-respect, all this kind of thing. And she realizes that, that, that whoever she's touching, that that has great power over her, uh, over her mind and over her life. And so she calls on the shepherd, and the shepherd comes back, and he says, well, the problem is much afraid that you let go of sorrow and suffering. You let go of the guides that I had for you. And instead, you took the hand of pride, and you started thinking, um, you started thinking thoughts that were against my thoughts, that were against what I had for you. Um, and that's where, that's where she 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 changes her entire um, existence, and she builds her first altar, and she takes her her will out, <laughs> her will, and she puts it on that little altar, and then a fire comes and lights it on fire, and she she sacrifices her will. And that's a picture of. Of Christianity, that's what you and I must do. Prayer will change our posture. It'll 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 change what we're holding on to, and it'll change how we talk. It'll change how we talk about our problems, how we talk about ourselves. Prayer will also change how we talk to God. Um, in uh, especially especially in First Corinthians, uh, I think it's chapter twelve, he talks about a prayer language, and you may have heard about this. It's just speaking in tongues. Uh, so people call tongues, and and in in the Bible, in the New Testament, there were basically, essentially, two main different kinds of ways of speaking in tongues. The first one is, is where you speak in another language, like Chinese or Mandarin, Chinese or Russian, some, some language you don't know. And this happened on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, where, where they, were, they were speaking in this tongue. They didn't even know what they were saying. But other people heard the gospel like in their own language, and they were like, oh, hey, I, I need to repent. I need to turn to God. So God uses that kind, but there's also a kind uh, in, in the New Testament that's written about that's the kind of tongue where it's a heavenly language. Uh, Paul calls it the tongue of angels. 
And, 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 and I don't want to spend a whole lot of time, but I want you to know that, that I believe in the gift of speaking in tongues, and I believe that it is for today, and I believe it is for every single one of us. And I would just encourage you, like, I could spend a lot of time talking about tongues, but really it's kind of like um, coffee. I can tell you how great coffee tastes. I can describe it's kind of bitter, kind of sweet with some milk, and as that milk is going in, it's got the dark and the white, and mm, that's just a beautiful, sexy thing. And I can tell you about, you know, just, I can, I can describe the attributes of coffee, but until you smell it for yourself, and uh, my wife doesn't like coffee, and until you taste it for yourself, you're really, good, you're not really going to get it. And so all I can say is that sometimes in prayer, sometimes the way that we talk to God, sometimes the longings of our heart, they're limited by the vocabulary of our head. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you just don't have words anymore. And when you don't have words anymore, that's where the Holy Spirit connects with your spirit. And you begin talking in a heavenly language that you don't even know what it means, but it's, it's describing what your heart is trying to say is the way I've experienced it in my own life. And so all I would tell you is, ask God for that. Like in your own prayer time, just say, God, if this is something that you want me to experience, I want to experience it. It's not spooky. It's not weird. It shouldn't like be all crazy and, 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 and nuts. It's just you and God. It, prayer, conversations with the shepherd change how you talk to the shepherd. And there's some stuff you'll never be able to pray with English. I'm just sorry. There's some stuff that'll never, it's, 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 it's deep crying out to deep kind of stuff. Like, it's, it's groanings that can't be uttered. It's stuff that you can't even really describe, but it, it just flows out of you. And so I would encourage you this week, go before the shepherd and say, hey, I would, I would love to have that gift. I would love to be able to speak to you in that way. I'd love to be able to communicate with you in that way. And watch, just, 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 just watch what he does. It changes the way that we talk to him, but it also changes the direction that we go. Um, it changes the, the direction of our feet. And what, what happens with Much Afraid is she starts going in um, the wrong direction, it would seem. <laughs> she starts going in the wrong d direction. Uh, but this is the path. This is the path that sorrow and suffering are taking her. And she stops and she says, whoa, shepherd, hey, time out. I need to talk to you. And so she has this prayer time with the shepherd. And she says, this can't possibly be the way because the mountains are there and we just turned around. And what he says to her is beautiful. He says, he says, uh, or she says, she says, I can't, you, you, you can't mean it. You can't have said that for me to trust you and now bring me uh, to this place where the path leads away from the, the mountains. She says, it contradicts all that you promised. And the shepherd says to her, he said, no, it is not a contradiction. It's only a postponement for the best to become possible. And so chapter seven and eight is about this postponement where he takes her on this detour and she doesn't see the mountains anymore. She's not going in the direction she thought she was, but she's being obedient to the shepherd. And that's something called submission. Prayer puts you in a posture of submission to the shepherd. That's why oftentimes when people pray, they get on their knees or, or, they, or they bow their head because they're, they're putting them, their body kind of in a posture of, of just subservience, almost like you would before a king. And, and you're submitted to him. And this is something that you can do once, and you can be in church, and you can bow your head and say, yes, I'm submitted to you. And then, you know, you get out of church, and then it's hard to do. And it's hard for me to do. It's hard for me to do as your pastor. I, I counsel people all the time, and, and, and this week, I realized I was doing something that I counsel other people not to do. <laughs> Have you ever had that happen? Maybe you haven't. I don't know. 
but I find that I talk a lot, and so I'm telling people stuff a lot, and so then God often reminds me of what I said and says, yeah, what about for you? And that happened this week. And it's so easy. It's so easy to say I'm submitted to God and, 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 then, and then to not be entirely submitted, to be mostly submitted. And the way I can describe it would be, maybe, maybe you could help me. I didn't tell you about this, but could you come on up and, um, uh, Ricky, you can help me. You're already up here. Um, okay, Roe is going to represent the, the God thought in your life because she's so beautiful. God thoughts are beautiful. You are the, well, not necessarily the good thought, just the God thought. I, I, I think all of us have a God thought in our life. Like either we read it in scripture or we just know this is what God wants me to do right now. Or God literally spoke to us in prayer and said, this is what I want you to do. We have a God thought in our life. And so that, that thought, we kind of link up with that thought and we start walking, let's just say this direction. So we start moving with that God thought. We're, we're walking along with that. We're, 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 we're being obedient. We're doing what we know to do. And then another thought comes along. And this is, this is our other thought. Hey, other thought, Ricky. Um, and sometimes he's playing the keyboard when he, when, when he gets called over. The other thought's doing other things. He ain't got time for this. Um, but the other thought, it may, sometimes the other thought comes from within your own head. It's like it's a thought that you have. Sometimes it's a thought from your parents, or it's a thought from your family, or it's a thought from society, or it's a thought from Facebook or something. But it enters into your life. And there's nothing wrong with other thoughts. Nothing wrong with Ricky. Good guy. Um, he's not a god thought, but you know he's all right. He's a, you know he's a good he's a good guy. Okay, we'll just focus on that. It's a good thought. And sometimes those thoughts come directly against you. Like like if you're over there and you're coming walking this way, and I try to link up with you, and then and then the god thought keeps going that direction, and then Ricky's going that way, and oh hey hey there hey there whoa not so tough. And this is, this is an awkward place to live. No, I mean, have you ever lived there where it's like you feel the tension, like, I can't do what God wants me to do because, and I can't really, and I, I, I want to, but I can't, and there's this tension there. Sometimes it's not exactly 100% against you. Sometimes the thought kind of comes up on the side and kind of wants to go a little bit on the angle, you know, and so the God thought's going straight, and you're kind of like, whoa, hey, hey, there. All right, and so you think, well, we can maybe walk together. We can move together a little bit. If you just kind of uh, compromise, and you compromise a little bit, we'll just go right off the stage. Um, <laughs> You know, and, 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 it's, and it's almost like we, we struggle with these two different thoughts or, you know, a thousand other thoughts. The truth is that as long as you give this thought your arm, as long as you give this other thought your, 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 your arm, there's always going to be tension between the God thought and this other good thought. And so what you have to do is you have to learn to just allow these other thoughts to hang around it's all good. I mean, he can even play keys if he wants. It's he create a little atmosphere. That's nice. The anointing. Just come right in. And, you know, allow the God thought to be the one that hangs on to your arm. You know, um, date every other thought, but marry the God thought. <laughs> you know, like, like just kind of hang out with these other thoughts. That's fine. But they have to be at a level that's below the God thought in your life. And as soon as you do that, you, you, you relieve all the tension. You relieve all the misdirection and all the stress because now these other thoughts hang out. And if they, if, they can go, if, if they can walk with you, if they can walk with the God thought, then they're great. But if they can't, then they just kind of got to you know, take a back seat. 
to what God is doing in your life. Peace, baby. And when we don't do that, what happens is we, we were not submitted to God. And this, this happened with much afraid. She, 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 had, she noticed the weed was growing in her, in her heart. And we have a, we have a, a screenshot for this. Uh, the, the shepherd said to her, he said, when, when you bear the weed of impatience in your heart instead of the flower of acceptance with joy, you will always find that your enemies get an advantage over you because you're always going to be torn and twisted and pulled because you got this, 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 you, you got this obedience to God, but you have a timeline. <laughs> you got this obedience to God, but it should happen like this. You have this obedience to God, but I always thought that, but and you have this obedience to God, but my parents said, you have this obedience to God, but, but everybody else, and, and these other thoughts are coming against the God thought in your life. And, and what you have to do is you have to uproot every other weed, every other thought, and, and let them be slightly below, preferably a lot below, the God thought in your life. And what this produces in us is acceptance with joy. It produces in us a heart that trusts God. Ian Bounds said this about trust. He said that trust is not a belief that God can bless or even that he will bless you. But it is a belief that he does, in fact, bless you right here and right now. That he is blessing you. Trust always operates in the present tense. Hope looks to toward the future. Trust looks right now. Trust receives what prayer acquires. So that what prayer really needs at all times is an abiding and abundant trust. Trust doesn't simply say, I believe God will do good things for me, but it says, I believe God is doing good things for me right now. I don't just believe that God will someday, but that he is right now. And that's what scripture says, that all things work together for good to them that love God. It doesn't say that all things will work out or all things will come together. And in the end, you'll see that it was good. No, it says that all things work together for good right now, that God's doing something in your life right now that's good. Right now, there's good in your life. Right now, there's beauty in your life. Right now, there's joy and there's peace and there's contentment and there's growth and there's death to self and there's denial of self and there's good stuff happening in you right now. That's what trust is. Trust says, I, 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 I look at my present circumstances differently than I had looked at them before and I start speaking the mountain language, the language of the shepherd. This is the final scripture, Philippians 4, 6. says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has done. Like right now, thank him for all that he has done. Personally, I am, I am thankful for all that God has done here at City Chapel in just six months. Uh, we launched on uh, January 25th. Um, with a team, a launch team of about, we had about 55, about 60 adults um, and some kids. And just in six months, like that number has doubled. Like it's, it's been awesome. And within the six months, yeah, you can clap for that. Like, but it's not just a number, like it's people. Like within six months, over 100 people have made decisions for Jesus in this theater on Sunday morning, like in a theater. Like, that's awesome. 
I'm excited about what God, like God is so good. And he's, and he's surprisingly good. He's shockingly good. He's, he's gooder than I thought he was. <laughs> he's, he's trying to, I think he's trying to prove that he's the goodest thing in the universe. Like, uh, he's, he's just so good. And, and so what we've done is we've started going around and we've been started recording some, some, some testimonies of what God's been doing in the last six months. We're going to show the first one next week. Um, not today, Emilio, don't worry. Uh, we're going to show the first one next week. And I'm, I'm pumped up about this first one. Um, I don't, I, 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 I don't want to hype it up because that's weird to hype up a testimony of what God's done. But I'm telling you, like, it's life-changing. Like, for five years, this couple was carrying something, and they just released, they got released from five years. They got released over just, just over the past six months, just a couple months in, um, going to our small groups and, and just being here and hearing the work. God's doing a work in their life. And so they met with me, a, like, two and a half months ago and told me what they're going to share with you all. And they hadn't shared it with anybody. I said, Pastor Harry, we just think you need to know this. And normally, well, first of all, whenever somebody calls me and says, Pastor Harry, we need to talk, that's usually not a good thing. Um, but in this case, it was very good. I was like, man, this is amazing what God's doing in your life. And uh, But it was so, like, it was so powerful. They hadn't shared it with anybody. And I said, well, someday, I don't know when, but someday you're going to share um, what God's done, and it's going to help set other people free. But I don't want you to share until you're ready. I'm just telling you, someday it's going to happen. And then, lo and behold, they're doing a little video, and, and they're going to share it with, with you all. And, and it's, it's, it's gooder than what you would think. Because we have thoughts. And we have thoughts. And we say, well, once this happens, then it's all down. Once that, then, then it's over. Then that's over. Then we have these thoughts. But what God's trying to do, he's trying to tell you, no, the God thought in your life is still activated. It's still powerful. If you'll just let go of these other thoughts and follow the God thought in your life, it's going to take you to the high places that I have for you. And he's so good. Because, like, I think, I think almost every, every attempt to turn back is because we really doubt how good he is. He's so powerful. His love is so powerful. We talked about this last week, how, how we, we, we live in the valley, and we expect that once we die, that'll kind of magically take us out of the valley. And that's because we really, we really believe that death is more powerful than Jesus, that death can do something for us in the future that Jesus cannot do for us in the present. And that's a lie of the enemy. There is nothing that Jesus paid for that you cannot receive right here and right now. He's that good. His love is that powerful. It's that strong. As the old hymn says, the love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong, it shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. You guys didn't grow up singing hymns, but I did. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen could ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair, Adam and Eve, bowed down with care. God gave his son to win. His erring child he reconciled and parted 
from all of their sin. Could we think the oceans fill or could or would the sky be of parchment made where every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade to write the love of God above would drain the oceans dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole though stretched from sky to sky. The love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. It shall forevermore endure as the saints and the angels song. Are just getting started. We are six months into experiencing and watching the love of God wash over people and conquer mountains and repair marriages and raise up young people and fire up college students and put missions on people's heart and send people to plant other churches and go to other areas of the country. We're just getting started with the love of God. And we ain't seen nothing yet. Come on, somebody. Turn to someone next to you and tell them you ain't seen nothing yet.